Welcome to the preaching podcast from the Bonners Ferry Baptist Church in Bonners Ferry, Idaho. In 1 Timothy 3.15, it says that the church is the pillar and ground of the truth. Therefore, we believe it is our duty to hold fast and to hold forth the truth, which is the Word of God. We're glad that you're listening and hope that you will be encouraged by what you hear today. I want to read some other verses that will bring us uh, into this text, uh, a couple of verses to note. Uh, beginning, if you would, go back to uh, Proverbs very quickly. you got your finger there in Galatians chapter 6. Proverbs chapter 24. Proverbs chapter 24, verse 16. I believe if you're a saved person endeavoring to obey the Lord, serve the Lord, uh, follow His commandments in your life, this is a key verse. Now let me clarify something very quickly. I was having a thought this afternoon. I was walking back, enjoyed a nice brisk walk back up from the jail service this afternoon. Did that on purpose, wanted to walk. I, nothing does good for my mind like a walk. So walking up and I was thinking about many times, number one, I've seen this in my own life. So let me, if you'll just bear with me, we're going to work our way toward a point here. In my own life, I've stated I'm willing to do whatever the Lord wants me to do. Now, I would never hear a person say that and despise it or be, um, well, that's not the right thing to say. We know that's the right thing to say. I'm willing to do whatever the Lord wants me to do. But that's sometimes that's akin to a young man telling a woman, I would, I would swim across the Atlantic Ocean just to see your face. Well, that's a nice thing to say, but you wouldn't actually. It's just, you're just trying to impress her, right? Sometimes the hypothetical willingness to serve God is nothing more than lip service. We need to be very careful that we're not, we're not in our own minds. I think it's easy, for instance, to go and bow your knee and say, Lord, whatever you want me to do, I'll do it. And that's good. But how do you know when you say that, that's in the hypothetical? Whatever it is you want me to do, as though I don't know anything you want me to do, but whenever you show me, I'm already willing to do it. That's good. We should have that attitude. But sometimes we pray that ignoring something we already know he wants us to do. To have the opportunity to obey and the capability to obey and not to obey is disobedience. I'm going to say that again. To have the capability to obey and the opportunity to obey God and then not to obey God is disobedience. And if we're not careful, we'll express a hypothetical willingness instead of giving practical obedience. Make sense? That's not what we're talking about tonight. I want to say all that at the beginning to say who I'm speaking to are those who've said, you know what, there are things in my life I know God wants. I'm going to set forward to do them and do them faithfully. Is it possible in endeavoring and working at obeying God to end up disobeying Him anyway? Is it possible to be overtaken in a fault? Is it possible to be on the right path and yet fall while you're on that path? That's what I'm asking. Can you be in the will of God, aiming at His direction, and get off course and stumble and fail or sin? Yes, you can. You can fall while walking the right direction on the right path. I'm not saying falling is right. In this instance, falling is wrong. But notice this, Proverbs 24, verse 16. I think it's important to get a hold of this truth. So I wanted to preface it with the whole don't mistake hypothetical willingness with obedience because it's easy to dismiss responsibility 
so that I'm not talking about, well, I'm willing to do what's right. No, I'm talking about endeavoring and working and doing what is right as a saved person, yet a just man does what? Proverbs 24, 16, for a just man falleth seven times and riseth up again, but the wicked shall fall into mischief. So a just man, a man who's been justified by the grace of God, a man who is doing what is right, is going to at times fail in his execution of doing what is right. He's going to, he's going to sin. He's going to fall. We are not excusing sin. That's what I'm trying to be careful with here. We're not excusing getting on the wrong path. But if you're going to walk in the right path, you need to have a proper understanding that learning to walk faithfully is something you have to learn to do. A just man, for a just man falleth seven times, it, but you know what a just man doesn't do? A just man doesn't say, walking with God and learning how to walk obediently is too hard. I quit. I'm going the wrong way. No, no, a just man falleth seven times. You know what the point of this is? It's not to emphasize it's okay to fall. The emphasis is when a just man falls, he gets back up and does right again. That's the emphasis. That's the assumption of Galatians chapter 6 is that he says, brethren. You know what that tells us? He's writing to just men. Brethren, this is con the context of this is to men who are just. And then he's going to deal with, you're going to have a brother who is not any longer walking like he used to walk. There are some things that used to be in his life that were right, and they are not now. He has sinned. He's failed. He's got a fault. And the fault there is, it's, the word is not sin, but fault. And I believe that's used intentionally by the Holy Spirit of God to help us understand. He's not intentionally out here pursuing a sinful life. But he is in sin. He's disobeyed God. He is a saved person who has transgressed. He's out of God's will. He's not spiritually what he was, is supposed to be. And what you're going to help him do is rise up again. He's fallen. You're going to help him get up. Now, we've looked at Proverbs 24. I would like for you, if you would, to go to Ecclesiastes, to the book of Ecclesiastes. And we'll go back and reference this. I, I wrote it in my Bible notes, but not in my other notes. So give me just a moment. So I can find where I want to be. I believe we want to be in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, but let me double check myself. If you're finding your way over there, I'll find my way. Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verses 9 and 10. Ecclesiastes 4, verses 9 and 10. The Bible says two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, if they fall... The one will lift up his fellow, but woe to him that is alone when he falleth, for he hath not another to what? Help him up. That's the spirit of what we're looking at in Galatians chapter 6. If I can make any argument from the word of God, this is, I say any, let me just make this argument from the word of God as to why any saved person needs to be in church. When you fall, I didn't say if you fall, when you fall, you're going to have somebody to help pick you up. Amen? A fall that's spoken of here, how many of us understand the context of this? The fall is not an ultimate or utter fall, as some would like to say, when you fall there in Galatians 6, you've fallen from grace, you've lost your salvation. No, the fall is you have failed in executing a faithful walk of obedience to God. We would call this, in some people's lives, it's referred to as backsliding, meaning you got out of the right way of living. Something's broken in your spiritual life. And so both of these verses I've read to help us understand, number one, it's possible to fall in doing what is right. A just man falleth seven times. 
you're going to fail at executing what you set out to do, but he riseth up again. But the Bible also emphasizes one of the keys to rising up again is having someone with you to help you up, someone to call you back into attention and say, hey, get back on your feet. I think one of the I think one of the things preaching ought to do is help people who've got something out of sorts acknowledge it and say, I got to get back where I'm supposed to be right with God. So the idea would be two are better than one. It's better for a Christian to be in church where he can have some accountability and someone to come alongside him and say, brother, I've noticed you were coming faithfully to the house of God. I noticed that you had some things in your life. Maybe it's a coworker, and you notice he's letting some things slip. He's not maintaining his testimony before the other coworkers like he should. He's letting some things go. He's conforming to the world. It is not only not wrong, it's right to go to that brother and say, brother, what happened? You were walking right, what happened? And so we're going to address this tonight, okay? Galatians chapter 6, verse 1 uh, brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, just love him. Just love him. True, but this is what love looks like. Restore such in one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. I, I'll say this again, and I, I say it so often because I, I see it as being so needful in our world today and that is we, have, we are hammered so constantly, especially in the so-called Christian world with those words, just love. Well, that's right on its face, but we need some definition to that. And when you start getting definition from it, what you often find is if a brother has ceased to live a faithful life, loving him means you don't say anything to him. You act like nothing's wrong. So what we do is we all of a sudden become play actors. We're going to pretend we know this brother, is, he's starting to miss church services. We've noticed his attitude is different toward his wife. We've noticed he's not maintaining the godly life he should. Next thing you know, uh, he's been fired from a job. Something slipped. But we're all supposed to pretend that everything's the same. Right? Or you got a brother over here and you know his weakness in life is to be very attentive to what everybody thinks about him. He's very attentive, very self-conscious, very concerned that he not be ostracized for doing what's right, and he gets around a crowd of people, and you've noticed he starts shifting what he says he believes around certain people. Oh, wait, we have an illustration of that in the book of Galatians. Peter was overtaken in a fault. Peter had a fault of blending with the crowd he was in for expediency. Can we all agree with that? He did it the night Jesus was crucified. He did it again with the Judaizers in the book of Galatians. And Paul said, and I withstood him to the face. Now, it can sound like Paul said, I was. The, you know what Paul was saying? My brother was overtaken with the fault, and I went and told him about it and helped Peter get back where he needed to be, quit being a hypocrite. I'm going to tell you something. The, there was an article written some years ago called The Chocolate Soldier by a preacher. I can't remember who wrote it. We're talking about melting in the heat of battle. Many a Christian today melt in the heat of battle and do not understand what brotherly love even looks like. May I say this? The will of God as far as sanctification is concerned is the same for every one of us in this room. God has a will. We'll, we'll execute our spiritual gifts differently, but God's will as far as how the Christian life is to be lived 
It's the same for me as it is for Jeff, Jim, for George, for you ladies. It's God's will is the same for us. He wants us to live a life that bears the fruit of love and joy and peace and long-suffering and gentleness and goodness and faith and meekness and temperance. And he wants us to put off the old man, lasciviousness and covetousness and uncleanness and bitterness and wrath and malice and anger and all those things. That, you realize that's God's will for every Christian. So when a Christian fails and starts to fail to live that life successfully, they've been overtaken somewhere. When they begin to pick up one of those old works of the flesh, that's what he just dealt with in Galatians 5. Don't burden him down with more legal code. Help him get on his feet. That's what Paul's saying. You know what the legal code of Moses did? It did not help brethren walk. It burdened them down where they couldn't. A brother was overtaking the fault, and they say, well, you know what's going on with you. You're not executing. You're probably not really saved. Your children aren't circumcised. You do that, and you do this, and you do that, and you do this, and burdening them down. No, we need to actually find means from the Word of God to help them succeed at doing the will of God. Does that make sense? Paul says, and he's going to tell, bear one another's burdens, not create burdens. Now, there's a burden that comes with being a Christian. It's called a cross. But Jesus said that yoke was easy and that burden is light because he's in that burden with us, yes? That's what we're supposed to do. The burden of obedience to God is a burden that is, that is created by love and grace in our lives and it is a burden that liberates us to serve God and there are times that there are those who get overtaken in a fault and our job is to restore them, help them get back to where they're supposed to be as obedient Christians. And so then... Let's examine this in three parts tonight. Number one, he begins with the potential, which we are already addressing, so we'll title it. The potential, obviously, is that, that a brother can fall. A brother can be overtaken. The word overtaken means this, to take in advance. That is, uh, to eat before, for instance. Others have an opportunity. So you're going to take an advantage and jump in front of others to, to jump in front of in advance, uh, to anticipate, to surprise, to come beforehand or to overtake, to take before. I believe Timothy has it described to him this way in 2 Timothy 2. There are those that have been snared by the devil at his own will. He got out in advance of them and tripped them up. They got overtaken in some... Again, the word fault here is often translated sin. And so it doesn't just simply mean it's a character flaw. That's not what he said. He didn't say a character flaw. He said... A fault. So let's let's read that definition. I have definitions for you from both the Strong's Concordance and from the Webster's Dictionary. Word fault means a side slip. That is a deviation or a lapse. Um, it can mean uh, to be an unintentional error, or it can be a willful transgression. It's a fall or a fault or an offense. And so there's a pattern we see in Scripture. Jesus said, "If thy brother trespass against thee, go to him." Wait a minute, let's do it in 21st century American Christianity. Pretend he did nothing wrong. How many understand this is, this is the doctrine that's not spelled out in the Bible but understood among so many Christians as is what it's supposed to mean to love? When someone does wrong, you just pretend that it's not wrong and that means you love them. Church, we must not believe that. We must not. A church cannot survive. Christian love cannot survive under that kind of false definition. 
Because what happens is if a brother trespasses against you, in your conscience you know he did wrong, and forgiveness doesn't mean pretending he doesn't do wrong. It means you're going to go to him and you're going to address it, not in anger, not in bitterness, but in love, knowing that his conscience is violated, and you are not going to be able to go on without getting bitter if you don't get it resolved, and speak to that brother about that and get that thing reconciled. It's not easy work. It's not fun work, but it's the work of love. Amen? I see marriages, and you know you hear me teach and preach on this much, and that's because it's much in our Bible. There are marriages that have gone on for years, husbands and wives secretly having things they are upset at each other about, but we never talk about it because we love each other. That doesn't work. All of a sudden, bitterness wells up inside. A canker is eating on the inside because a husband perceives a pattern of behavior. How many of you know this? When you married your wife... You were in love with her, but she had faults. And wives married husbands, they were in love, but he has faults, and those faults show up when you live life together. And if you simply choose to ignore the faults of others, that is not what's being taught here. You know what Paul's saying? There's going to be a, a time you're going to perceive a brother has transgressed, he slipped up, he, is, he has made an error, and here is what you're supposed to do. The pattern repeatedly through Scripture is not, and I'm not talking about running around being a police officer, nor is the Word of God. Well, let's look for who's messing up and try to correct everybody. It's talking about when you see somebody that is failing to execute a faithful Christian life in what is the mind of God as revealed through His Word, and you see that, and he's overtaken, that's the potential here. And in this potential, the context of this is not just anybody out in the world, this is written to brethren. This is to people in the churches of Galatia, meaning in our churches, we're going to have brethren that do this. There's going to be a time a young Christian gets their mind on their finances instead of on the Lord, and they're going to start making bad financial decisions. And someone needs to come alongside and work at getting them back to where they need to be with a spiritual focus, seeking first the kingdom of God, Meaning this is, this is the gears that make a church function. Not creating more legislation, but acting on their behalf to help them do what each of us know is right in the sight of God. Does that make sense? So the potential is, the context of this potential is inside the church is to the brethren. The call says, brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, you which are spiritual restore such in one, but then notice the constraint of this. He says, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual restore such in one. Think about this for just a moment. The constraint of this instruction is you're going to have to have some discernment. You're going to have to have discernment as to what is right for another brother and what is not. This so flies in the face of judge not. You realize it is possible for you to judge when a brother is living wrongfully. It's possible. And we must. Again, this is something God's had to speak to me and help me address. It is necessary as the pastor of this church to examine the spiritual state of each member and try to address are they living in obedience to God's word or not. Not because I'm your judge, but I am to discern your spiritual state. And if there's an insensitivity to the word of God, I know there's a spiritual ailment. If the Word of God is clear and there is an insensitivity to that, meaning I know the Word of God says that, but I'm not going to do that, and that may be sometimes, as a pastor, it's a little different. There are things i got to preach on. can't use the pulpit to, to 
to hurt anybody or single somebody out unless they're causing strife or sin in the church. But my point would be this. It is needful, especially if you're a mature brother, to be looking at your brother. And what I'm saying is here, it requires, you and I need spiritual discernment about how other people are doing. Parents need spiritual discernment about the spiritual state of their children. Uh, we as brethren need spiritual discernment. We need to discern, is this a weaker brother? Is this someone that doesn't understand the things of God well? Is this someone that's just saved? Is this someone that's growing and developing? Uh, is this someone that's still not figured out the walk here? Is just dealing with... So if they're overtaking a fault, we're talking about their practical Christian living. So you're, you're dealing with, are they executing that faithfully? You know what that means then? There's got to be a clear distinction in the mind of a child of God of what is the right way to live for a Christian to live and what's the wrong way. And to be able to look at someone else and say they have a fault in their life. You realize that's what that's requiring. You're going to have to be able to examine the life of another believer and come to the clear determination with spiritual discernment they have been overcome of some sin in their life. Some error has, has got the better of them. That's the way we would say it. It's got the better of them. Are we not pressured strongly to think we should never do that with somebody else? You should never look at somebody else and make a judgment that they're doing wrong. That's God's job. That's not what God said here. And again, I believe Paul is the best example. He had looked at the Galatians and said they'd been overtaken in the fault. The fault of believing the false doctrine of Judaism as it's crept in. And I've got to talk to him about it. I'm going to have to speak to those Galatian churches because they've been overtaken in the fault of foolish discernment. They have not been spiritually discerning enough to reject false doctrine. And now they have been overcome of believing something they shouldn't. And now they're biting and devouring each other. And that is not consistent with the word of our Savior. He said, by, uh, the, 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 they'll know us by the love we have not for one another, not for the way we're able to chew each other up and spit each other out. By this shall all men know that you're my disciples if you have love one for another. Let me ask you something. Was Paul telling them things that was going to result in their spiritual health? Was he telling them, you've got a doctrine in your life that's hurting you. It is giving you a false sense of salvation. It is a deceitful gospel, and it's going to damage your, your assurance. It's damaging your interworkings with each other. Paul was giving them words of wholesome spiritual health. You know what Paul was doing in the Galatian churches? He was seeking to restore them. He said, ye did run well. Who did hinder you? Do you realize the Galatian churches had been doing well based on the truth of the gospel? They had been executing a life of gratitude and obedience to Christ until somebody came along and tripped them up and they started biting and devouring each other out of pride and arrogance and self-will. And he said, you're behaving like you did before you got saved, except now you're doing it in the name of religion. In the name of Christianity, you're acting like heathens. <laughs> I mean, basically. Because they'd gotten false doctrine. Again, we've seen an example of it with Peter. Uh, Peter uh, dissimulated it. The, the, the fault in his life was hypocrisy. And Paul said, I went and told him, Peter, this is wrong. You know what that happened? Let's just think about that situation with Paul and Peter in Galatians 3. When Paul says he came and uh, Peter before had eaten with the Gentiles and then when the Judaizers showed up, he would no longer have anything to do with them. He's dissimulating. He's being dishonest. He's got a double standard of conduct in his life. Peter's understanding of the gospel said it doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Gentile because that's what the gospel is, right? But these false teachers said, no, the Gentiles have to become Jews or they're not really saved. And Peter, knowing that wasn't true, was more responsive to those pressures of false religion than he was to the Holy Spirit of God. 
And Paul said, Peter was overtaken. And so I went to him. You know what? When Paul got done, you know what Peter was doing? He was back to eating with the Gentiles like he ought to have been. Paul restored him. Now, I want to tell you something. Some of the most despised people among many churches today in America are spiritual people. People that are actually willing to go to a brother and say, brother, you're not right. The man a week or two ago came out and talking about his transitioning to new versions of the Bible and being done with the King James and how clever he was about it. Hey, a number of brothers have called him out and they're all the bad guys for doing it. Now, I'm not talking about being arrogant. I'm not talking about being prideful. But that brother's in, he's in a fault. He now has adopted a view that says we don't have a perfect Bible. He's going to lead many astray, right? You know what the right thing to do? There are, I guarantee there are men in that young man's life that a long time ago called him out and he dismissed them. I happen to know who he is and some people been around him. I guarantee you somebody warned him along the line, you're playing with fire. He's gone forward. My point is this though. We need to be done with this idea that if you're spiritual, you don't see other people's faults. No, everybody sees other people's faults. That can't be helped. What happens is the spiritual person understands what to do about the other person's faults. You see, if I'm carnal and I see your faults, I'm going to respond a couple of ways. How many of us know this? Many times this play acting like we don't see people's faults is only when they're around. So we can pretend that we're at peace with each other, right? So I'm going to pretend that I don't see somebody else's faults so that we don't have to talk about it and it doesn't make my life upset. But when they're not around, I'm going to bring their faults up. We bite and devour. I believe this. You're going to talk about somebody's faults. You just got to figure out if you can talk to them about it or about them about it. Amen? And I'm not saying we need to talk about people's faults. But if you have discernment enough to see that someone has slipped, and fallen. You can come and say, you fell because you were not executing the Christian life like me. Or you can say, we both know you're down. Now let's work again you back on your feet. Make sense? Very different attitude. One, we're going to approach this brother like the good Samaritan in Luke 10 and say, I see you've been on the side of the road. What resources do I have that will get you back in the position you need to be in? back to restored health spiritually. Or we can be like the Levite and the priest and say, oh my, what an idiot to fall like that. Yeah, you see? Everybody's going to... How many people that passed the man on the side of the road knew the man was beaten and half dead? All of them. But one of them made a difference. One of them made a difference. And so the, the potential here is that a brother can fall. The constraint is it's going to take discernment on our part to discern, how many of us know this? There's a difference in falling and being overtaken to fault and battling in the Christian life. There's a difference. There's a difference in someone struggling with their flesh day by day because they're in a battle and having lost a battle. It's one thing to be in the battle. It's another for the adversary to have won. And we can see a difference. It takes spiritual discernment to do so. So it takes discernment and decisiveness to say, okay, my brother is not struggling against a fault. He's overtaken. He's down. He is now defeated. He needs help. Look at with, with me, if you would, a text we looked at recently, Philippians chapter 1. I think this, this text is always so intriguing to me because of the words that are included together. 
Philippians chapter 1, verse 9. And this I pray that your love may abound yet more and more. So what's Paul wanting of the Philippians? He wants their love to abound more and more in knowledge and in all judgment. Love does not blind you to the truth. Love informs you what to do with the truth. We have to have judgment. You have to make discernment about right and wrong. Let love be without dissimulation. Abhor that which is evil. Cleave to that which is good. Love does not make the line between good and evil blurry. It makes it abundantly clear. Okay, So that you may approve, verse uh, 9 again, and this I pray that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and all judgment that you may approve things that are excellent. Why you need judgment is so you can put your approval on that which is excellent that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ unto the glory and praise of God. The same thing is inferred in Galatians 6. Brethren, there's going to be a time when you see a brother that's overtaken in a fault. He's been deceived by a false doctrine. He has succumbed to a sinful behavior, and here's what you're supposed to do. There's the potential. Now we come to the precept. Brethren, if a man, that's the, that's the hypothetical, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual... Restore such an one in the spirit of meekness. We'll give three unalliterated points here, okay? The precept, first of all, who? Who is he speaking to? This is why it was important last week to define who is spiritual. You know what? Don't sit and think, I think I'm a spiritual person. Let's just measure up against the Bible and understand if we're spiritual, number one, spirituality is never there to create superiority, Spirituality is there to equip you to be usable to serve others. Spirituality is not about ascending above other people. It's making you able to help people. That's what spirituality is about. So there are false forms of spirituality. Well, I'm more spiritual because I, uh, I have this gift and this gift and I'm this well-known. How many times do we think someone's more spiritual because their name is more recognizable in the Christian world? That doesn't equal spirituality. Do we realize some famous preachers in time past have been reprobates? It's possible. Fame is not equivalent. Spiritual fame is not equivalent with spirituality. There are some spiritual people. We'll never know their names when we get to heaven, but the Lord Jesus is well acquainted with them. Amen? If we look last week what it means to be spiritual, and again, especially the spiritual person puts great priority on the written word of God as the very word of God, and so then who's he speaking to? Paul is not generally, you know what he's saying? Not everybody's going to be qualified to do what I'm about to tell you to do. There's a need for fallen brethren to be restored, but if you're not spiritual, it's not for you. Carnal people trying to help carnal people gets everybody laying in the ditch. When the blind lead the blind, they're both going to what? Jesus said, if the blind lead the blind, they'll both fall in the ditch. It takes spirituality to be able to restore fallen brethren. I have a burden in my heart, and I know God through his word has put it there. But church, we're in, we're in a time of great spiritual conflict. We live in perilous times. And one of the things I'm sure of is we have a lot of brethren who've been overtaken. Overcome, overtaken. Now look, if a brother that's overtaken to fault doesn't think he's in fault, you're not really going to be able to help him. But there are many who've been overtaken to fault. And in the given life of a church, there's going to be people overtaken to fault. And here's what I want to emphasize tonight. If there's a special task for spiritual people, shouldn't you want to get yourself up to that task? 
Don't you want to be one of those people when a brother has fallen, you're going to have the spiritual capability to get down there beside him and help him get back on his feet. I want that. I want to be able to be the kind of person when a brother's overtaking the fault, we don't come and say, well, I'm glad I didn't fall. I want to be able to help them get back on their feet and be faithful. How many of you in your Christian life have fallen since you got saved? How many of you know God used some people in your life to get you back on your feet? I've mentioned the people in my life many times. The people that helped me the most were ones that had no doubt in their mind I was fallen. They knew it. They were not affirming of me, but they loved me deeply. They didn't say, oh, we understand. They said, we don't understand. We don't understand. You have a profession of faith in Christ. You say that Christ is your Savior, yet you're demonstrating the attitudes of an unbeliever. What is going on with you? I had an aunt. She's not herself where she ought to be today with the Lord. But one day her spiritual perception told her I was not right. She said, Nevin, I am praying for you. I am praying for you. I can't tell you. And she made it very clear how she was praying for me. She insinuated, I know you're not doing well, and I'm praying God helps you out of this. Praying for you. And I think back on that, I have thanked God for that aunt who prayed for me. You know what? She was spiritual enough. I had a sister spiritual enough, a pastor friend spiritual enough, a youth pastor spiritual enough to tell me the truth that I needed to hear and gentle enough, gentle enough to transfer it to me in a way, I'll be honest with you, it's like I'd had to be, I'd had to be a horrendous person to reject it. I'd have been not a Christian to reject it. I'm glad for spiritual people in my life. I'm glad for for people that did not pretend I was walking when I had fallen and said, you know what, we're going to help him. So who, who is the one that's addressed here? And that's the spiritual. May I say tonight, if you are content with being saved and carnal, you need to get right with God. It is wicked for a child of God to be in cahoots with the world. That's what it means to be a carnal. To value temporal things. To put all your affections on what, if all your goals and all your vision and all your dreams are defined by temporal things, you are carnal. You need to be spiritual tonight. A spiritual person has set their affection on things above. They, they put stock in the written word of God as the commandments of the Lord and are concerned about the needs of other people. And so Paul says tonight, I'm not talking to everybody now. I said brethren at the first. I'm addressing the group. But in that group of brethren, there's some of you that are spiritual. You love the word of God. You know the commandments of the Lord. And uh, you are walking in fellowship with God. And if that be the case that I'm talking to you, you're going to have brethren around you who have fallen and you need to restore them. Get them back on their feet in the spirit of meekness. And so who, ye which are spiritual, what was to be done? Restore such in one. Restore such in one. If you've got a brother that's been overtaken to fault, restore him. Get him back on his feet. Get him back to a place of obedience to the Savior like he was right after he got saved. Try to get him back to where he was when he got baptized. When the commandment of the Lord as his Savior was binding on his life enough that he was willing to take that step of obedience, if he ceased to do that, if he ceased to live a life of obedience, the goal is to get him back in fellowship with the Lord. The word restore can mean to perfect or to complete. Um, the word restore can mean, uh, according to Webster's, an amendment of life, meaning getting things amended back to where they need to be, but especially Restore means they previously had a condition that was acceptable but is no longer. 
It's the very word that was used, and I mentioned this last week, when James and John were mending their nets, Peter, James, and John. Mending, meaning that one time their nets were whole with no rips and tears, but they came in, there were rips and tears, and what they were doing? Putting them back together to their previous state of, uh, uh, of wholesomeness. They get them back to where they were. And there are, there, we, again, we call it backsliding, and that's the idea. You used to be in fellowship with the Lord. You used to be in step with God. How many of you have ever seen someone entirely, entirely and completely abandon their devotional life? Now, I'm going to tell you something. You abandon your devotional life, your walk with God and Bible reading and prayer. Next thing you know, church is a bore. I don't have time for it. Someone like that needs restored. If they become overtaken, they need brought back. What happened to you? Let's get you back where you need to be. And so ye which are spiritual, restore such in one in the spirit of meekness. And so who, ye which are spiritual, what? Restore them. Well, the goal is to get them back to where they, where they need to be, back to that uh, to, to not, when we say perfection, we don't mean sinless perfection, we mean complete obedience. To complete obedience. The, the word, the idea carries completion. And so, uh, you which are spiritual, restore such and one, and then how are we to restore them? In the spirit of meekness. Meekness is a form of humility. Meekness is not false humility. Meekness is strength restrained in order to help a weaker or fallen person it's the idea, we've tried to illustrate this many times. Um, I'm going to be careful how strongly I grip little Judson. I have the strength in me as an adult to break his little bones. And so I'm going to be gentle, okay? Meek, uh, and meekness and gentleness, I think, are almost inseparable. But meekness is not the lack of strength. It's the channeling of strength and the restriction of strength that could be used but it's restrained in order to keep from damaging another person. It's the idea of having the right view of oneself. It's the idea, meekness has the idea, Christ's meekness is this. He could have come as a king, but he came as a pauper. Why? Why would he come and be despised of men? Because that made him accessible to those who needed his help. And so the idea would be, meekness is not this. My goodness, I can't believe the way you used to be as a Christian. Whatever happened to you? Why can't you just live the Christian like I, life like I have? I've never, I've never done this. You know, I believe when Paul went to Peter and was sitting in the face, Paul understood this just as, could just as easily be me. I was a Jew. This could just as easily be me, but it's wrong for Peter to simulate. It's wrong for me. And if he stays this way and he continues to do this, it's going to destroy Peter's ministry. I mean, I just understand that if Peter had continued to be influenced by the Judaizers, he could not be continued to be used by God. But Paul loved him enough to say, Peter, you can't be doing that. You're caught up with the dissimulation of these men, this false doctrine, so on and so forth. Paul understood with the Galatians, if they continued on the course they were on, they would cease to be used by the Lord. And so it is with us with meekness, that, that fruit of the Spirit. A spiritual person is a person that is under the influence of the Holy Spirit, the person bearing the fruit of the Spirit. And so how are we to do this in the spirit of meekness? Again, we read it last week, but we're going to read again tonight. 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2. Meekness has the idea of keeping a proper view of ourselves in light of serving someone else, not an arrogant, lofty view but one of humility and service for the benefit of the one we're trying to help. Uh, 2 Timothy 2, 24. And the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient, 
in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves, if God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth, and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil, who are taken captive by him at his will. Meekness is not apologizing for the truth. That's not the idea. It's handling the truth in such a way that you're not using it to destroy the person, but to help release them from Satan's snare and get them back on their feet. You know, we can all quote a verse to show somebody else is not as knowledgeable or spiritual as we are, or we can use Scripture and apply it properly to help someone see their state and help them get back where they need to be. How many have ever done it both ways? How many have ever grabbed a Bible verse and beat someone over the head with it? How many of there's a difference in taking that Bible verse and applying it and saying, you know what, here's where you are, and according to God's Word, you're not where you're supposed to be. I've heard your language change over the last six months, and it's not getting any better. You want to tell me what's going on? I don't think there's anything wrong with my language. Well, let me remind you of this. God says, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. Would you say the, the, the language coming out of your mouth is pure? No. Well, let's go back to the Word of God. Are you doing what's right? I've watched my dad deal with people that, you know, fallen people sometimes, they're not happy. When you go to help them, sometimes they're not real happy at first. They have problems. And I've watched people go back and forth. I remember a preacher he dealt with years ago. And the guy had gotten off sideways on some things. The brother would say one thing, and my dad would say, brother, what about when the Bible says this? Well, no, 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 no. well, brother, what about when the Bible says this? Now, you're saying this, but the Bible says this. And they went on like that, went on like that. Till finally, the man said, eh, it's right. For some years, my dad became that man's pastor, was able to help him. And he'd gotten off, off track, off course. My point is this tonight. Spiritual people know how to use knowledge aright. In meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves. If God, peradventure, will give them repentance to the knowledge of the truth, they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil. That same term is used again. Meekness, again, carrying the idea of retaining a humble attitude and realizing you are not there to compare yourself to that person and flaunt to them that you're on their feet while they're on their back. You are there to get them, not, not to put them down, but to get them up. <laughs> to restore them to spiritual health. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, you at your spiritual, restore such in one in the spirit of meekness, doing what? Here's what that spirit of meekness is. Considering thyself. Here's the precaution. We have seen the potential if a man be overtaken in a fault. The precept, you at your spiritual, restore such in one in the spirit of meekness. The precaution, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. I cannot tell you the number of times men have decided they're going to help other men in a certain area of life and end up falling in the same area. I believe it's what we're being warned about. When you're dealing with people that are, that are fallen, if you're not careful, you'll be down there with them. We must each, 1 Corinthians 10, 12, Wherefore let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he we must each remember that we are one step away from a fall. And so we need to guard our steps. Meekness says, I'm not on my feet because I'm superior. I'm on my feet because of the grace of God. And I'm going to have to be relying on the grace of God if I'm going to stay there. And so then, the duty of the restorer, first of all, is to consider ourselves. Now, that doesn't mean be inward focused and self, self, uh, self consumed. But you better consider yourself. You need to watch your own step. 
you're going to help restore somebody else, you consider yourself lest thou also be tempted. How many know this? In getting other people on their feet, guess what you're going to have to be interacting with and dealing with on a regular basis? Sin. You know what happens when we interact with sin? If we're not careful, we get desensitized to it. I do believe this. You're in the business of rescuing people. We got to learn how to be careful. I believe this is true with dealing with unbelievers. Boy, the Lord's dealt with me about this and made some application. Jude 22. And if some have compassion, making a difference, and others with fear, pulling them out of the fire, doing what? Hating even the garment spot of the flesh. Don't you get yourself defiled while trying to rescue others. There are people, listen, I've learned about sins people commit. I didn't even know people knew how to commit. You have to watch yourself. You can get desensitized. All of a sudden, you've been exposed to sin in so many people's lives. You don't fear it maybe like you did once before. It is not as abhorrent maybe as it used to be. How I many you know once you've seen something a time or two, it just doesn't have the shock effect maybe it used to. I think it's what God's warning about. You better be careful. You'll get sullied up if you're not. You better understand this. The work of restoring others, is a, is, it can be a dangerous process. That's why it takes spiritual people to do it. People who are not arrogant enough to think, I'd never do that. I've heard of men say, you know what, I can handle, I can handle being around a woman alone. I can handle, whoa, 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 you're in trouble. You're already in trouble. I mean, I can, I can face temptation and handle it. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth, take heed lest he fall. There is no temptation taking you, but such is common to man. There's not a temptation that's taken another that can't take you, and there's not temptation that's taken you that hasn't taken somebody else. And so we need to be on our guard as we seek to serve and help others restored, it, get restored. If we're not careful, they're not getting restored. We're falling with them. And so this is something that requires great care and caution and a, an attitude of meekness, knowing I am capable of falling too. The goal here is not for me to get down next to them so two of us feel better about each other because we're both falling. There's a lot of that going on today. I get so weary of hearing, well, we're all broken. Well, not if you're saved. If you're saved, you've been healed. And so God has equipped you and, and enabled you to walk faithfully, but we are living in a perilous world that, where Satan is setting snares and Satan is firing darts, and so there are times good brethren fall. But when you're restoring them, you better consider yourself lest you also be tempted. You may fall into the same sin you're trying to get them out of. Boy, have we seen this happen. I've seen times ministries of men trying to recover. I'm telling my wife years ago, uh, there was an emphasis on a lot of guys trying to get young people out of the rock and roll world because of the ill and evil effects of it. And you know what I've watched? Many of those guys ended up into the trouble they were preaching against because they got to dabbling and exploring the sin itself and it hooked them. You say, well, they were never men of God. I don't believe that. I believe they were not approaching it with meekness. There was too much of a sense of invincibility. We're not invincible. We're vulnerable. We must keep on the whole armor of God. But may, I know, may we know this. Though there's a danger attached with restoring brethren, it is also our duty to do so. Amen. Very practical teaching tonight. May God give us the wisdom and discernment to realize and understand when a brother has been overtaken and then do the due diligent work of restoring them in the spirit of meekness lest... And then considering ourselves, lest we also be tempted. Let's stand tonight.